and a good chunk of my team are millennials. And I, I actually think they've got a better attitude to work and work ethics um, and experiences and work culture than my generation ever did. Ever. And, I, and I, it really irks me when I hear people talk about the millennial being feckless and lazy. It's so not true. It's so not true. And I think they've had the guts to actually stand up and say, you know what, I want to do this. <laughs> I like that a lot, and that speaks to my heart. Welcome back to Poolside Podcast. This is episode number 102, and I'm your host, Rachel Anthony. That clip you just heard is from our guest today, Tony McGrath. He is the CEO of The Grand, which is the oldest theater in the downtown core of Calgary. Um, He walks us through his journey of his lucrative investment banking career to starting a consultant business with his wife and why he decided that he should become the CEO of The Grand with no theater background. He talks about his definition of success and how it has changed over the years and why having an impact on the world is more important than income. Tony is very open and real about the ups and downs of a career in life, but how to channel that into a new perspective and to move forward. This was a great interview. I found it super interesting. I feel like a lot of people that I interview on this podcast have either just started a business or are still really early on in their career, whereas Tony has had a lot of experience and he's done a lot of different things in his life. And so I think having a perspective from someone with more experience and knowledge brings a different look into the business and entrepreneur world and so I really loved this episode I think it was one of the favorite my favorite ones that I've done and I think you'll really enjoy it so let's just get started here is Tony Welcome back to Poolside Podcast I'm sitting here today in the grand with Tony McGrath Thanks for joining me. Oh, absolutely my pleasure. And I'm, uh, it, it's been a little while for us to get together. Yes, this has been like a three month struggle, I yeah. think. So yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we finally figured it out. Do you want to start with introducing yourself um, and give us two fun facts that people wouldn't know? Sure. Uh, my name's Tony McGrath. I'm the CEO of The Grand uh, in Calgary. It's now Western Canada's oldest, still continually operating performing arts theatre. Um, built in 1912, um, just an incredible history um, of which now I'm part. Um, so I, I am born in Ireland, raised in England, um, so I'm, I'm clearly from my accent not a native Calgarian. <laughs> um, but I'm a very proud Canadian. Uh, both my kids were born in the UK but they're also proud, proud Canadians. Um, my son's not that long ago returned from Iraq. He served over there with uh, armed forces, wow. uh, dismantling roadside bombs, which really makes my job pale <laughs> into complete <Right>. insignificance <laughs> in the world. So, I'm a I'm a 63 year old white man who's never run a theatre and never been in the arts. Um, uh, and in the last 12 months, I got to run a theatre. I got to be 
um, very involved in the arts, and I also started a modeling career. So. You're doing it all. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at. So a uh, little bit about uh, my background. I've been um, an Olympic-level athlete, a soldier, hospital administrator, banker, CEO of an insurance company, and my wife and I built an insurance company together, a federally approved insurance company. Um, and prior to my role at the Grand, I was a management consultant specializing in helping stuff companies get shit done, basically. <laughs> that was my role. I've done a, a fair amount of insurance CEO work. So, fun facts about me. Um, well, I guess I, I started a, a, a modeling career in the last 12 months, and that's been very active. I work for uh, Kelly Street at Nola Models, who's apparently... Hi Kelly, <laughs> uh, responsible for um, a, a, a good number of the supermodels we got in the world, but I don't think he puts me in that bracket whatsoever. <laughs> I think I, I got my own bracket. And um, another fun fact about me is I was a single dad for the best part of a decade. So um, I raised two children on my own until I met my current wife, um, and that's. Probably the best job I've ever had in my life. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And so you kind of touched on a little bit of everything that you've done. Mm -hmm. So can you take us through a little bit deeper of the journey that led you to becoming the CEO of The Grand, not having any background yeah. in art? So, because I know you, the last career was, you were very successful in investment banking, and then you yeah. made the jump to this. So do you want to just walk us through kind of like that journey. Sure, well, I, I um, about three or four years ago, I met a very different kind of lawyer at, at a, a law event um, and got chatting to him at the dinner table about his tattoos. He just got a new one. He, his name's Tony Cioni and he was a board member at the brand. Um, we met for lunch, we get on really well, we still do to this day. He's kind of quirky, I'm kind of quirky. Uh, we've got um, uh, very different outlooks on life, but we've remained firm and fast friends. And he suggested that maybe I would make a good board member at the brand. And I, I said, there's not a chance that I'd make a good board member. I'm like, but you should talk to my wife. She's a lawyer, she's way smarter than I am. And she loves the arts. She was a ballet dancer. She's danced in Russia. So my wife, Marcy, joined the board here at the Grand. And over uh, the time she was a board member here, um, I actually got to really love the place. Um, came to see some um, quite edgy contemporary performing art that I'd never seen in my life before. Scared the bejesus out of me at times. Loved it at other times. At other times, I had no idea why I'd even seen walking by. Um, but I kind of fell in love with the place and I had a couple of opportunities to work with the team at the Grand. One was to uh, build a, a strategic plan for them a few years ago with the then uh, executive director and his team. Um, and then I got to work with both of the executives, the creative director and the executive director, about a year and a half ago in, in more of a coaching role. And I'd done a couple of other projects. So I was familiar with the theatre. My wife was a board member here. Um, but I had no thoughts of ever working here, um, hadn't crossed my mind, I, I, 
I felt inadequate to even consider that, I think. And, and so um, I had been a management consultant with my wife for quite a while since we sold out our insurance company. Um, and last summer we went on a road trip to Utah. We were hiking in Zion National Park. Um, so we, we take long road trips every year and it's kind of our life strategic planning happens in the car and we have post-its up in the wood, <laughs> on the windows and we have both asked ourselves whether we, each other, whether we were actually enjoying consulting. <clears throat> and I think we both agreed that we enjoyed certain aspects of it, the clients, but overall we weren't getting a great deal of satisfaction from it. Um, and what we felt we both had missing in our life, so with our, our business was purpose. Right. We, we were feeling like we were having any kind of real impact on the world. Um, so we agreed in our strategic plan that we wanted to open our minds and our hearts up to doing something with purpose, whatever that looked like. And a week later, the board chair called me and said um, that we'd had a change of management here um, and we'd lost most of the team. And would I be prepared to step into the ground for three or four weeks to look after it? <clears throat> so I said yes. Um, and came along and hadn't, at that point, had not realized the depth of trauma that the organization had been through or the financial position we found ourselves in um, or the relational issues within the building or the complete lack of any art booked in here. Um, so I, I spent my first couple of weeks here finding keys and toilet paper and trying to bring some staff back and uh, manage a couple of uh, corporate events that we had going on that, that we needed to manage. Um, so it was, uh, it, it was not abnormal in the entrepreneur world to have to deal with that. But um, I sat in the, the, the main Flanagan Theatre, I'll, I'll thank you in shortly, but um, one afternoon, there's nobody else in the building. I think it was a Sunday. I remember I had the keys in my hand. Um, this sounds hokey, I realized, but I felt like the old lady, the grand herself, kind of spoke to me. And my mind was kind of around, well, I can't let this place become a gym or a shoe store. I can't. It is so beautiful and such an inherent part of Calgary's history. I mean, we've had Fred Astaire and his sister Estelle dancing here, and the Marx Brothers, and Paul Robeson and Sarah Bernhardt. Even Nellie McClung had had a women's voting rights rally in this theatre, and it just felt too much that we let it go. And we were probably about an hour away from deciding whether to close it or not. And, and at that point, I think the board even had in place uh, plans to declare bankruptcy. So there's a, a full strategy in place. Um, and I'd, I'm not quite sure what possessed me, but I called the board chair and said, I know you're recruiting for this job right now. I'd like to throw my hat in. Um, and I've been here ever since. So um, I, I still feel the same way. I still feel that I don't want this old lady um, to be just one of those things that people say in a couple of weeks, whatever happened to that old theatre? You know, like it's a parking lot, or we were a golf driving range at one point in here, one of the work, darker points in our history. No, I've had a, an incredible 12 months. So I signed my contract in November 2000, 
18. So I've been here just over a year. Um, it was a few months before that, but that was mainly just surviving. Um, it's been a remarkable 12 months. I, I uh, managed to persuade a, a quite a remarkable group of young people from the arts to come and work here um, with no business background in working. Um, in fact, our business development manager, Alexandra, was a dancer who pitched a show to me. And she now does all of our sales and marketing for us and manages and, and actually executes on a number of our events. Our front of house manager, Chantal, she's a very talented um, contemporary dancer and she's actually dancing in a show herself here in yeah. spring. Um, my operations manager was previously a production manager. She's been a dancer. Um, my bookkeepers from the Philippines couldn't get a job in Canada because her qualifications don't match. So we're helping her um, upgrade her qualifications and she does all of our bookkeeping for us. Um, so we, we've um, really grown quite a talented team here. Our social media is managed by Jewel, who also works in our booking office, and she's a florist by trade and a, and a, and a talented visual artist. Never, ever done social media before, except her own Facebook page. So the, the real beauty of this year is that the theatre has been busting at the seams with art. Um, our corporate events have flooded back. I think we've got a, a really wonderful culture here now. Um, and that wasn't the case in the past. Um, we have a, a good relationship with our tenant restaurant downstairs. Um, they've been here for five years. Um, um, we're very grateful that they're part of us. Um, we have a brand new board with a couple of exceptions. So we're over 60% female on our board now, whereas the only female board member I can ever remember of is Marcy, my wife. Um, and of course, she can't be on the board now. Um, so I, I, I think um, our turnaround in our reputation and our brand and our culture um, and the way that the Calgary arts and culture community has embraced us has been quite remarkable. And, and I have to say, whilst I've I have created the environment for that to happen, there is no doubt that it's my young team that have really executed on all of that. So um, we, we've taken some significant steps forward uh, to make sure that we're here in, in another hundred years. Right. And I yeah. feel like that's a testament even to Calgary as well, because I feel like we, the culture has come back to Calgary over the last couple of years as well. Yeah. Now that people are finding themselves again, they have money again. I yeah. think Calgary has done a good job in general. And so I think yeah. that you're obviously one part or like the heart of that to help spread that. Yeah, I mean, I think the brand has always been a cultural and political center in the city. Uh, and I'm very outspoken about the arts and culture sector being an economic driver in the city. I, I firmly believe that. I don't think this is a nice to have or a, you know, a luxury item. I think any successful city has a vibrant arts and culture um, that is open to everybody. And we really open the doors on every conceivable level in the brand. We have two resident theatre companies here now. One is more traditional, Black Radish, who a tremendous group of guys, very renowned uh, performing artists in the city. And we actually made Canadian history um, 
we, we became the first major Canadian theatre to ever have a indigenous performing arts theatre company resident in this theatre. And we did that here in Calgary. Um, and that's been a significant step forward. So we decided that this is Calgary's theatre. The doors are open. We've had the Filipino community in here, the Chinese community are coming in for New Year. Uh, we have African Influence Nights. Uh, we've had uh, South Asian performing arts in here. Um, we're looking at the Arabic community, uh, the Caribbean community at the moment to bring them in. We now have salsa dancing in the theatre. Um, so we've made a real effort to not just embrace the traditional arts community, but to open the doors to Calgary fully. Um, and that means every Calgarian. So um, during our, our cultural build here, um, we looked at things like diversity and inclusivity, and, and we hated both of those terms. Like they're, they're, we, we felt they're just um, words that are glibly used to really cover that you're not doing it. The written policy. So we with. Um, Justin Manyfingers, who's the creative director of Making Treaty 7, our indigenous theatre company, and my team and myself, we agreed on a welcome policy. So really the only thing that's not welcome is racism and hate. That's it. Right. That's it. So we don't care where you're from. We don't care about your sexuality. We don't care the colour of your skin. We don't care your religion. You are welcome and you're safe in the brand. And I actually love love that. I think that speaks to the heart of what Calgary is now as a multicultural society and city. And it, and it is absolutely at the forefront of our mind and my mind here at the Grand that we fulfil that role and our doors are open. And I think arts traditionally have been, and particularly in the Grand in the past, has been a little elitist. Um, and we're the furthest thing from elitist at the Grand. We would like to be a, a, a bit of a lighthouse for what's happening downtown in the city and we want to take that light out into our suburbs and our, our, our other areas of the city and we'd also like to take that light further out into Alberta too, to places like the Hat and Lethbridge and, and Red Deer and, and, and maybe bring our brand of performing arts to them. Right. You have a lot of work ahead of you then. <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I've only got a three year contract. So right. <laughs> I need to get Move quickly. Yeah. And um, so you started the business with your wife. So have you always had the entrepreneurial spirit or was that something that as you got older, you decided that's what you wanted to do? Talk about that side of it. So my mom's a little Dublin woman, this tiny little woman with steel hard fists and like a real a heart of gold and a, and a very courageous, brave woman. She's not very well at the moment. But. So my mum uh, had left high school at 11 to raise her brothers because her father passed away and her mum was very sick. So my mum never had any real education of, of, of any sort. So, um, and, and neither did my dad. So mum and dad moved to England when they were pretty young, not long after they had me. I, I lived with my grandparents for a while. So mum worked in factories, um, 
because Birmingham, where we live, was the, the, the epicenter of the Industrial Revolution and all the cars and went there. But um, decided that she needed flexibility with two kids. So mum took on a contract to deliver flyers way back in the 60s, door to door. And she built uh, quite a, a tidy little business doing that. So since I was able to put leaflets together, to fold them together, I worked for my mum. Now I've worked um, side gigs ever since I was a young man. So I've always either had contract work or uh, a little side gig going on, or I was buying and selling cars, or um, I, like before online, I used to go to flea markets and buy bits of furniture and sell them on, or I'll buy something like So I've always um, always had a revenue source in my life, no matter what's going on, very entrepreneurial. So I, I worked very much in the corporate world, but I never lost that. And I, I always would keep it going. And, I've always, I've always loved that. So when we built our business and sold it, um, we went through quite a, a traumatic period in our lives. And the company that, that bought us, uh, hired us back to, to run the business in Canada. And then about a year and a half later, closed their Canadian operation. So we lost, we got bought, hired, fired in a very short space of time. So it was like losing a baby for us almost. It was very, difficult. Um, so our, our source of revenue after that became management consulting. My wife's a lawyer and she didn't want to go back into law. She doesn't like the, the, the normal practice of law. Um, and we like, we like a lot of freedom. So consulting um, was the next best thing to build in another business again. Um, we built our own brand and you know our personal brands were very much part of that. So not really a scalable business. But, um, We've worked a lot around uh, incubators here in town. We've worked with the AT, ATBX incubator. We've worked with a group called Business Instincts. Um, so I, I love that startup world. Um, I love the young entrepreneurs around it. I love their creativity and the ideas that they generate. So <clears throat> I, I, do, I do miss that a little bit. But as a consultant, there's no money in that, <laughs> that world. <laughs> it's not easy to make, make a go of it. So I think the, the entrepreneur was was something in my genes from my mum. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and this is a very entrepreneurial thing for me. Right. Yeah. And what have been some of the lessons or things you learned in the business world that you've brought to the grand? Because I know you said you had no experience with the arts, mm -hmm. so I'm sure that was a challenge to come in here with a different industry. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I've been a bit of a, a different leader in business. Um, I, I always have been, and I have been since my 20s. And um, Some of the testament to that working uh, is that people that I've hired and worked with in my 20s are still in my life to this day, and, and lots of them. Um, so I've, I've been um, a relatively undisciplined leader. Um, I've believed very much that if you hire good human beings, who are grown-ups, you can find a job for them, which is the polar opposite of how the business world works. So I've, I've always been a, a bit of a, a maverick as a leader. Um, I, I, I really have believed heavily in uh, women in my leadership teams, and 
in the 70s and 80s and even parts of the 90s that wasn't something that happened but i've always had i've always been very keen to do that and and not not because of equality i'll be honest about this yeah. <laughs> and not because i'm a you know i felt i should be a at the forefront of feminism and i am very much a feminist i'm, I'm married to one and my daughter's one um but i felt always that women get shit done <laughs> so, I like I, so. <laughs> totally, it was a totally selfish right. policy uh, but if I had six men in a business development team and six women the six women always outperformed <laughs> and outworked the men so why wouldn't I so I've always stacked my management teams uh, with women um, so th again that, that's a little unusual um, so I I hire good human beings. I make sure that they they're grown ups. Um, then we find a job for them, uh, and I have teams that are predominantly women. Then I step out of the way and let them get on with it. So that's my lesson that I brought from business to the ground, yeah. and that seems to be a, a sublime fit with the arts, where um, my guys are used to side gigging. They're used to really weird hours. They're used to managing their own schedule and figuring things out. Artists can pivot in minutes. Yeah. They can change things in minutes. Where, as in business, that's that's painfully slow <laughs> <laughs> to the point of, of killing a business sometimes. So, somehow, my leadership lessons over four decades in business seem well suited to the arts. So my guys uh, don't really have job descriptions, we don't do annual reviews, I don't manage their hours, they can work from home or work from here. Um, and we had no systems in place, no procedures in place, we lost all of that when, when the previous team left. So they figured shit out themselves. You know, some of the basics were here, but we bought our booking office chairs from Kijiji. We bought our brand new office chairs upstairs, none of which match, <laughs> were bought at an auction. So they, 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 got the, they got an entrepreneurial flair. And I have an entrepreneurial flair with a lot of business experience. So I, I think I, I found a happy place here uh, for my leadership style. And I'm not in any way saying I'm right, uh, but it works for me. Um, so I, I, I think I, what I suddenly now have on my hands is a group of grown-ups who get shit done. Um, and I love it. And uh, it hasn't been without its communication bumps because I think, you know, when I don't give them clear direction on my expectations, they're left adrift a little bit to figure it out for themselves, but they have. Yeah. So it is a little bit contrary to what may happen in the corporate world where you're in at 8.30 and you leave at 5 and you're expected to dress this way and you, you do things in this order. And, and, you know, I think that's appropriate in a lot of businesses, but it, it isn't appropriate for this. So I, I, I love I've been able to help create that, that culture of, of getting things done. Um, and we've also developed, uh, and it's something I've done my whole career is, a real philosophy of um, of no fear. So go and make decisions. If it's wrong, we'll fix it. Right. If, if you fuck up, 
let me know and we'll fix it. Um, and one of my roles in that is if we mess up, um, I take full responsibility and accountability for that. And I'll call a person that was the victim of our, of our crime. Um, so I, 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 you know, we have an agreement that I, I have my team's back uh, to go and make decisions. Um, and, it, and, if, and if it is a mess, then we'll fix it. That's okay. That's how we learn. And, and, and we really do learn that way. Do we? So right. I'm delighted with that progress. Yeah, well, I think a lot of companies, especially now, culture is such a huge topic yeah. and a huge problem with letting people work when they mm. want to work and all yeah. the different trends. So I think that you've been able to instill that and help that grow. I think that's amazing. And also the people, I'm sure, appreciate it that work here. I, I, I think so. And I actually love millennials. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I, I, over my life, I, I'm not terribly materialistic. I'm all about experiences and I, I travel and go on road trips and I'm not afraid of anything, which is why I agreed to become a model this year. Like, right. I've never done that before, <laughs> so I want to experience that. Right. I don't know what it's like. I've never right. walked the catwalk. I, you know, I haven't been in front of a camera. I haven't done the video work. And right. I, I've enjoyed it. And I, I love that the young people in the city really don't care about cars and big houses. They want to experience things, and, and I think the Grand is an epicenter of experiential learning. Um, and a good chunk of my team are millennials, and, and I, I actually think they've got a better attitude to work and work ethics um, and experiences and work culture than my generation ever did, ever. And, and I, it really irks me when I hear people talk about uh, millennials being feckless and lazy. And it's so not true. It's so not true. And I think they've had the guts to actually stand up and say, you know what, I want to do this. Right. <laughs> I like that a lot. And that speaks to my heart. And, you know, so if you're out there and you've been giving millennial shit, shit <laughs> then you're so wrong. Right. You're so wrong. And I think you're a great example of this. Look at you sitting here today. Right. You've given up a job in an agency and you're podcasting and marketing and branding and you're, yep. you're doing it for you. Totally. And I also yeah. had parents that also support that yeah. as well, which helps. You need somebody to give you the, yeah. the atmosphere in the room yeah. to be able to do that as well. The whole concept of retirement and saving for retirement, and it makes no sense to me. Right. Like, and I'm a lot closer to what should be <laughs> retirement and than you are, and I've started two new careers this year. Right. And, and I hope that's a, somewhat of an example to your generation to say, like, the whole thing around being done at 50 or being done at 60 or retiring and going to play golf in right. Palm Springs. Sounds boring. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And if you can have, like you said, you take the road trips, you do the things yeah. you want to do. So if you can have both, yeah. then that's really the goal. I, I think so. I mean, we I've done a six-week road trip and worked most of the way around. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, that's my goal. <laughs> yeah, I, I've sat in a hotel business center with a shirt and tie on the top right. and shorts <laughs> on the bottom for video conference calls. Right. Like I, I, We own a little resort in Zahuatanejo in Mexico, and I did a big project for the oil sands down there a couple of years ago on the beach. Wow, it was, it, cool. I, I, so that, that stuff's out there. And, and I applaud the millennials. And I say this as well, and this is in no way criticizing Calvary, but the traditional philanthropic 
societies and, 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 and community in Calgary have not supported the grant in, in any significant way whatsoever. Most of our donations have come from our millennials. And it's 10 bucks and 20 bucks and a, and a ticket to our backseat cinema or volunteering time or giving their, their skills to us or we got one guy who brand we got a podcast series starting here at the end of the month about us guess of Jim Button and Dave Kelly we had a young guy did all the branding for us as a, a volunteer so he's given us that so most of the support over the last 12 months has come from your generation and not what you would traditionally think would be the arts philanthropic they haven't been that interested in us, but the millennials have. And the millennials have said consistently in here, this is cool shit, this place is cool. I didn't know it existed here and we ain't gonna let it go. Right, when like you said, it's the experience too. And then you're you're bringing in so many different things to experience. Yeah, and we we had a tap show here in here a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. We haven't had tap here since Fred Snare. Sold out both nights. And, And a lot of young people, and not just the dance community. So, you know, I, I, I love that. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, so you've obviously done a lot in your life. So how mm. would you define success now as opposed to either when you first started your career or, you mm. know, back in your other careers? I think in my 20s and early 30s, I wanted to climb a ladder. Mm-hmm. I had no concept of what that actually meant. Right. You're like, just supposed to do it. <laughs> you're just supposed to do it. And like and a bigger house and a faster car and nicer suits and nicer watches and you know. And I, I was still like that, I think to a degree when I came to Canada. I came to Canada in nineteen ninety-six with the HSBC group on a three year executive exchange. Um, so I wasn't supposed to be staying in Canada. Um and during that three years, I, I hit rock bottom in my life. Um, and it was alcohol related. So I had, I had climbed pretty rapidly. And on the surface, I looked extremely successful. I owned a house on a beach in White Rock, flew business class backwards and forwards to Europe, you know, had expensive suits and holidays. And, um, but I, I had, I had been using alcohol consistently through my life as a way of managing my emotions and my feelings. And I, I got a genetic issue with it. Um, you know, it's, it's in my family. I'm an Irishman. I always thought as a hard drinker, but really I couldn't handle it. So um, in the space of one year when I got sober, I lost everything. Everything. Right. So I ended up uh, living in a motel divorce motel where you would describe the, um, the, the, the decor as retro <laughs> <laughs> and it had retro odor too. So, um, so I, during that period uh, I left my banking career. Um, I don't talk about this very often but it's a pivotal point so went bankrupt, lost my marriage. Um, couldn't see my kids for a while. Uh, and, and literally, I uh, everything disappeared in, in very short order, like a domino. Um, so when that happens to you, you're left with your bare bones at that point. What am I? Who am I? What the fuck just <laughs> happened? Like uh, one minute, I got a 
like a, a black uh, American Express card and, and all of that stuff. And now um, I don't have a job and I'm barely making ends meet. Um, so I think my journey then changed significantly. <clears throat> I, I, I developed a real uh, understanding that satisfaction and success is inside of me. Success is about the kind of man I am um, and my impact on others in the world. Not what can I grab for myself. And I'm in no way trying to be self-righteous here, but things that, I, have you heard of Dr. Wayne Dyer? He's a, he's a spiritual teacher, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he, he, he had quite a big following, wrote a lot of books, podcasts and all that. He, he said something, and I, I, I listened to a podcast of his one, or a broadcast, and he said, what was true in the morning and your true in the morning of your life becomes a lie in the afternoon. And that's exactly what happened to me. Like suddenly all of those things, whilst in no way am I saying money, you know, is not important. Um, money to me became an, a, a means to freedom or a means to accumulate stuff. Um, my kids became very important to me. I became a single dad. They lived with me full time. So that, that's significant. I couldn't turn the washing machine on. <laughs> um, and suddenly I got an 11 year old girl um, and I've got to go bra shopping and tampon shopping and take her <laughs> to high school and all of that stuff. Um, so that, the, the, what, what was important to me changed dramatically. And um, why do I even need a big house? or a faster car, or why do I, I, I don't even need those things. In fact, there's zero enjoyment yeah. from it at all. Um, so I, I think trauma changed my thinking on life. And thank God it did for, for me. So I've been on a, a spiritual journey, and I even sometimes talk about that in business, um, a spiritual awakening. To me. So things like prayer and meditation and helping others um, and purpose um, became way more important to me than earning three or four hundred thousand dollars a year and buying stuff with it. Um, I'd always traveled, but travel became more significant to me, the experience of traveling. Not just going to Paris to say I've been to Paris, but to go and sit down with some Parisians and ask them what. Paris is like. Um, so I, I travel more, I travel more in the US. Um, and and I, I earned about 20% uh, of what I used to earn. But I was, I was a lot happier. I got a Honda Accord for a company car at one point in, in my, that recovery period. And I was, I was stoked <laughs> because I, before that, I had to, had to buy a car for $800 to get them to work. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and I'd had a company BMW in, in my heyday. So I, I, I don't regret the past at all. Uh, like, I haven't closed the door on it. I, I, I look back with fond memories. Um, I'm not anxious about the future at all. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, I spoke recently at something called Creative Morning. Been there, but I spoke, I spoke about embracing uncertainty, and I, I've absolutely done that in my life. Like I've embraced uncertainty completely. I, I never lie awake at night worrying about 
I don't worry about dying. Um, a good friend of mine passed away a few years ago and I got to spend some time with him at the end. And, and he put it in really nice way to me. I asked him if he was scared and he said, why the hell would I be scared? He said, I, I feel like I'm moving on to the next adventure in my life. So I, I kind of like to look at it that way. So um, I, I've got a more contented life. Um, you know, I mean, not no life's full of roses and skipping through the tulips in spring, <laughs> in spring, in springtime. But um, I'm better able to ride the waves now, I think, um, because I have no fear of losing stuff. And when you have stuff and money above a certain point, you start to get a fear of losing it. Um, so I think there's some science around when you hit seventy thousand dollars a year or something. That is like the sublime point. Before that, you, you're too short of money to always worrying about not having enough. When you go beyond that point, gradually you start to worry about losing what you've accumulated. And so there is science around that. It's kind of interesting. So um, I, I thank God for my crash. I really do. Uh, you know, and, and it was brutal at the time, really brutal. And I've given you the kind of the, the nice version of it. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think sometimes you've almost got to hit some kind of bottom in your life to start to recognize where you are. One of my uh, key philosophies in my life is that uh, gratitude is my barometer. So if I am ungrateful, I feel ungrateful, I'm clearly off center, clearly. Like, and it's not difficult to get ungrateful in a consumer world, it's not difficult. You can fly to Paris, stay in a nice hotel, and then you see some jerk across the road who's renting a Porsche, staying in a, <laughs> and suddenly he can take the shine off your beautiful Paris trip. And I guess that's human nature, but gratitude is a real barometer for me. And I think, you know, if I, if I, if I can encourage you to do anything, is, is use gratitude as your barometer in life. It makes, it just, it, it's a real black and white line of, am I okay or am I not? Yeah, no, I think that's huge. Mm. Well, now lots of people, do you do a gratitude journal? Because that's very, a millennial thing to do. No, <laughs> my do wife you? does. Yeah. I, I, I do it in here. So, yeah. you know, I belong to a, a great non-drinking anonymous organization <laughs> that has a, 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 a bunch of steps that help you put structure in your life. Um, so I, I, yes, I do. But it's, you know, after this many years now, it, 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 right. it's a habit. Um, and, it, and it's not, it's not difficult for me to grow, to be grateful. Yeah. Really I've got a granddaughter now and she, she's seven and quite the character. And her and my daughter have been living with us for the last four years. So like, if ever I want to get out of myself, I'm just going to spend half an hour with her. She takes no prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and what can people look forward to with the brand this year? Oh, wow, we got a lot coming up this year. So Treaty 7, our Indigenous theatre company and Black Radish have both got performing uh, arts programs this year. Uh, we're launching our um, Emerging Artists program in the spring. Right in the middle of High Performance Rodeo in here at the moment, we've got uh, Chinese New Year coming up. We've got some events that are gonna really be really magnificent for uh, Black History Month. Uh, we've got um, our own dancer, Chantel, uh, plus uh, two beautiful young women called uh, Project in Tandem. They're performing in here in the spring as well. 
that's a co-production with us. Um, we've got a wonderful organization coming up from Vancouver called Music Hills, which is the first time uh, east of the Rockies that they've ever put, um, put on a, a, a show out here. So that's a, a not-for-profit organization that believes that music can heal things like Alzheimer's and um, a lot of the syndromes that are around. That's, that's going to be amazing. Um, so we've only really just started to put together the full year. We're not a traditional theatre, so we don't really have a season. Um, but I think they're, ju they're just some snippets of, of, of what's coming up. And um, we've got some really great private events with some really big ticket musical names coming in here that I can't tell you because <laughs> they are private events, but we're yeah. really stoked to have them yeah. coming into our theatres. So three opera singers, male, that's one, <laughs> that's one of the events, but um, uh, yeah, I think we got a we got a very exciting year ahead of us this year. So. Oh, that's awesome! And where can people find and connect with you and the Grand? So uh, the Grand's website is thegrandyyc.ca. Very millennial kind of title <laughs> there, um, and you can actually reach me by calling the switchboard. You can get hold of me directly through the switchboard. Like it's very do. easy. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy to get hold of me. And um, my email is Tony at thegrandyyc.ca. And I'm on Instagram, Tony McGrath YYC. I'm on Facebook, and I don't use Twitter very much, but I'm very active on Instagram. Great. Well, thanks so much for sitting down. I feel like we could podcast all day. But... Uh, absolute pleasure. <laughs> and um, it, it's uh, very encouraging for me to see uh, a young professional like you doing what you're doing. And I, I really admire you. Thank you. My pleasure.